episode, we'll look at how you can empower yourself to be more productive, as well as how you can create a culture for a more productive workforce. I'm delighted today to be joined by Graham Alcott, who is the founder of Think Productive and a productivity ninja. More on that to follow. As well as Alistair Woods from our people and organisation team, who leads our future of work activity. So, Graham, over to you. It'd be really good to understand a little bit about what it means to be a productivity ninja and what led you to create Think Productive. Yeah, so what led me to create Think Productive um, about 12 years ago now was me realising that I had some holes in my own productivity and some things that I needed to fix. So my natural style is very strategic and ideas driven. I'm not a natural complete finisher. I'm not naturally organised. And I went on a bit of a journey really of solving this stuff for myself and developing really good systems around my own productivity and then it turned out that I was not the last person to figure this stuff out and everyone else needed this stuff too so I kind of fell into uh, talking to other people about it and then teaching other people about it and then suddenly had this light bulb that this could be a business and this was the thing I was going to spend a long time um, working on um, so yeah for about the past 12 years um, Think Productive has been working with some of the leading organizations around the world on helping people to make the space for really quality thinking, to get inboxes to zero, and all kinds of other um, aspects of productivity, really geared around how people think and how people uh, get the best of, out, out of their energy and attention in their work. And, and the productivity ninja? Um, and a productivity ninja is um, someone who has a whole uh, bunch of different tools and techniques and ways to be able to be uh, much more productive. Um, so in the book I talk about mindfulness and uh, preparedness, uh, having zen-like calm, being ruthless, um, having really good tools, finding ways to uh, really cut through all the noise and distraction that we face in the world and find ways to come out of that feeling much more productive and in control. Fantastic. And Alistair, you know, what sort of challenges are you seeing companies facing when it comes to productivity and engaging their workforce? Um, so I suppose the, the, the biggest thing that you know you'll we will be aware of is that um, there is there are so many um, programs around IT and technology going on in organ organisations at, at the moment. So transforming this, putting a new system system in place, and actually the one thing I come across time and time again is that adoption. So resistance or lack of understanding of how to engage in a new process or, 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 or system. So it feels like a missed opportunity, but what I find that organizations do, they top down impose, this is how we're gonna work now, but actually fail to um, engage individuals or employees who are going to have to adopt, adopt that technology. So there is, there's a, a, a new concept I increasingly talk about clients, which is people adopt what they help create. So be part of that. But actually, that means a longer lead time. That means a longer, a longer, a longer process of implementation. Because that can hopefully get to productivity once everyone's engaged and using the system appropriately. I think there's another thing in the UK, certainly, about skills and talent. And you know, we are seeing jobs change. But I do increase, I'm, not, I'm not convinced we have got the um, strategy at a countrywide or at an organizational level to equip people for new ways of working. And the final one, if I can, for, um, is the, for me, the engagement question. I, this, this is my hunch, right? But I think um, there's something about fear, engagement comes from feeling aligned and feeling in tune with your organisation. And that, you know, that means different things to different people. But there's something about the purpose and the intent of the company or the business you, you, you work, work for or work, work, work with. And I wonder if there's something missing there about the human element. Do you feel part of? 
that DNA of the organisation. Hmm. Um, and actually, we've been seeing actually lot, lots of um, work on what makes a leading company. Yes. And actually, a leading company is one that shares its purpose, vision, and yeah. has engaged mm. employees. Yes. Therefore, probably more productive employees. I don't know. Well, that's my th my my theory, and I'll be interested in your 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 views. That um, if you can to unlock productivity, engagement, motivation, there is something about. Do you feel? Do you feel? Um, in sync with that organisation, what they're trying to be, and that doesn't—that's never going to be a perfect relationship. But there's something about pointing in the same in the same direction, and I think the organisers get that right. Do somehow cascade their vision and their who they're trying to be into the employee experience. That for me is part of the, the productivity puzzle. I think that's really um, really true, and uh, there was some really interesting research that found. You know, people often think of productivity as like the route to happiness, so it's. Mm be much, much more productive, and then as a result, you'll be less stressed, and then as a result, you'll have the right level of money and be able to sort out your family situation or whatever, and then as a result, you'll be happy. Actually, it's the other way around. So this research found that if you have happy people, yeah. then happy people tend to end up being more productive because they just have that sense of purpose. Yes, right. you know, they have a, a sense of engagement, both with you know, what's happening in the organization and also what's happening in the rest of their lives as well. And I, I think there's, there's always that sort of balance yeah. aspect to sort of um, add to it. But like, you know, for me, when you go into an organization where it's really clear that people feel passionate about that brand that they're working for or that organization they're working for, you know, you just get this real sense of energy off it. Mm -hmm. And I think often we think of productivity and a, a lot of these issues in terms of, um, uh, like it, it's almost like a nice to have or a, a, a very uh, like minority pursuit the idea that you could love your work mm. and really be engaged in your job and actually I think a lot of people really enjoy and get get great meaning and value out of what they do but it you can always you can you can feel it in the air when you walk into an organization and people are aligned yeah and they've got either a boss that really inspires them or a mission that really inspires them like you can just feel it in the yeah. air is that new do you think and you, it feels like it's something. There's a different conversation going on about purpose. Is my is my sense? But yeah, I think the conversation might be new. I mean, I think or newer. Yeah. Uh, I spent the first part of my career working in charities, which is a funny one because immediately mo no one starts working in charities for the money, right? You work in charities because you have a sense mm -hmm. of mission, right? Uh, and I definitely felt that. But you'd also be surprised. I don't think it's as, as simple as a sort of two sides of the coin. I think um, often you have charities where there isn't actually that sense of purpose and mission, even though everyone's gone there, you know, thinking that they have this sense of purpose, maybe they have a slightly different sense of where the organization yeah. should go in a charity than someone else. And because it's so much around care, you know, some of the worst organizations for kind of uh, individual politics and, uh, you know, politicking yeah. and, uh, uh, you know, and very sort of fragmented leadership have actually been in the charity world, right? So I think it's not necessarily about kind of, you know, corporate, non-corporate, anything like that. But I think, yeah, having that sense, being able to develop leadership styles that really reflect a sort of sense of purpose across the board in all kinds of industries feels like, feels like something that particularly as organizations are trying to, uh, trying to uh, retain the millennial part of the workforce just feels like it's a really key yes. uh, conversation to have, basically. I think, and, you know, I think as time goes on, people are only going to want more of that sense of purpose and energy and, and drive in yeah. their organizations. And I think as we think about actually millennials and the workforce of the future, mm. how do we think the ability to be flexible when working, what that impact will be on productivity? Um, so, I mean, I've seen that work 
did, did very well or not not well not, not well at all. It often depends on the team, and the and the and the, cult, and, the, and, the and the culture. So I think working flexibly is the new normal, right? That's here, that's here to stay. So there's there's where it works well for me is how you contract with the team about expectations and how you check in and the the infrastructure you put in, and I I I think we just have to acknowledge that is going to be. Um, uh, how we'll be working going forward. I think the opportunity for employers, this is what I talk a lot about, is actually how you embrace it, actually. And I think there are now lots of platforms that allow you to tap into talent on a need basis, you know, so get the right people right, right, in, the, in the right skills, lock them into projects, and that could be your current workforce internally or that could be externally. Tapping into gigas who will complement you know, your project teams, for, for example. So I think, and that means us well, that will that naturally means working flexibly in different in, in different ways. So I see that as an opportunity to be more productive. I think we'll see more of that, a lot more of that, to, lot lot to come. Yeah, I think. I mean, I've done quite a few projects where I've used people from, say, People for Hour or just other yeah. freelancers that I'm aware of, yeah. and just got people involved in a project just for mm. six weeks or six months or whatever it might be. And so I think there's always that nice sense, particularly when you're in a, a small business. So, you know, our core team is six at Think Products. We're a pretty small company in terms of the people who are, you know, mm. part of that core team and sort of contractually obliged to be there full time. But then we know so many people in our networks, graphic designers and trainers and all kinds of people who can come in on a you know, really short term basis or, or just be sort of floating around in the background and then plug in and be part of the team at, at different yes. times. So I think that's sort of increasingly the way that particularly small businesses can go. And it does, it does make your job easier as, as an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. To be able to, to sort of see and showcase all this different talent from different places. Yeah. I also think the thing you said about contracting is interesting. And um, I think there's, there's the sort of uh, the formal physical contract. And then there's also the kind of psychological contract that you have between sort of boss yes. and employee, isn't there? And you know, I think flexibility works well where there's a good level of trust and autonomy on both sides. So where you've got a, a sort of management setup where you know, you know, I, there's people I work with, I know I can give them complete flexibility and they're motivated and so they will do their job really well. And you, you kind of have to know that someone has that level of motivation and kind of self-motivation to make it work. Mm. Um, and personally, so my company does a four day week, we've done that for about seven years. Right. Um, Everyone loves it, right? Uh, people are not going to go work for someone else where they have to work Fridays again. It's just <laughs> that's just how it is, right? Um, so you know, for me, that's uh, something that we've been able to sort of offer um, our team. And I genuinely believe we're more productive by the fact that people have three days off every weekend and come back really refreshed on a Monday than if they were working a five-day week. Mm -hmm. And I suppose the interesting thing is just just as you, you made me think, Graham, is how do you measure it? So so how do you know that by giving someone four days off has made them more yeah. productive and yeah. how, you know, how do you measure that productivity? So we had people just kind of start the day with what their, basically what their to-do list was going to be and by the end of the day, how, you know, some questions qualitatively around how did you feel and what did you achieve and, mm. and so on. And we found in that, um, in that sort of three-month trial period that we did that people were more productive when they had um, the four-day week than the sort of control time that when they were doing five days. I mean, they all were probably quite angling for the idea of a four-day week. So I think with all these things, you can't measure it perfectly. Yeah. I think um, the idea of, of having sort of absolute measurement around productivity is a, re it's a really hard thing to get right. Um, so, you know, for me, it's like you have to, yeah, you can try and measure it, and you, but really the best measure for me is good, super honest conversations between you and your team 
and working out from that, you know, where you, where you all sit and how that starts to feel as a kind of sort of working practice going forward. Mm. And yeah, I mean, like you're never going to get the right 100%, but like it's much more about um, making that an honest conversation rather mm. than rather than trying to kind of have 100% peace of mind that you have yeah. all the answers. So I was to add to that. I think the, um, the there are some basic measure temperature checks. I suppose you can do around well-being, hmm. for example, because I yeah. think I yeah. think your four-day working week would actually should support a well, a well the wellness of the of, yeah. And those are workforce. some of the questions that we ask. Yeah, as well, you know. and then I, I suppose I would look at retention. Yeah. I look at absenteeism, for example. For example, I look at lost time injury. Those kind those kind of dim dimensions that. Um, when you aggregate it together, can give you a sense of product, product, productivity, even customer satisfaction, yeah. or quality. Those dimensions could work in different organisations. Yeah, when we did our trial, we also just asked people just kind of questions like, how stressed do you feel, and, and that very sort of in the moment mm. form of well-being. And we've definitely also noticed the uh, level of absences, you know, illness absences, just go down since since we did that seven years ago. We, we had a higher level of absence before than we've ever had since, and you know, over the last few years, we've. I really noticed that people just don't get sick so much, and it's like right. stands to reason, right? You know, and it, it's it, you, you kind of feel like a, a three-day weekend as opposed to a two-day weekend. Is that really going to make that much difference, really? But it's all those small things that that it's difficult to notice, or or to even sort of predict that, that would be the case on a kind of small scale. But then when you zoom out and you go, oh well, they're just relaxing. You're just relaxing for longer, and you're having more days off, and whatever. Like it, it really does stand to reason that that would be the the yes, overall outcome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Graham touched on sort of having uh, regular conversations, yeah. honest conversations. You know, what's your view from the work you've done in terms of if you have regular performance um, checks, yes. what impact that has on productivity? So I'm um, can I answer that a slightly different way, of course. which is um, um, so I work. I mean, one, one of the aspects of my, my job is actually help organisations with incentives and uh, recognition programmes and performance management. And I can I can conclude that regular check-ins and the one I've seen really recent recently I'm gonna answer your question in a roundabout way is an organization that's mandated quarterly check-ins actually I mean we're in a context of lots of interactions with mm, better, yeah. better, better skills but actually each conversation has a different purpose and one is about um, um, behaviors and how you feel behaviors around you and your own behavior in a context of the organization the other is about your well-being and actually how well you're feeling and how could be there anything around your working hours that we could do around, around, around that. The other is about your career trajectory and what's next for you, or sideways or upwards. And the other is around um, perform, actual performance in the prior, in the prior period. Um, I suppose, what I'm, I guess to answer your question, I suppose there's a, there's a, there's a, there's, we should be having different kinds of conversations all the time. So I suppose, it's, as you started uh, one of the previous questions, engagement. Yes, yes. At, at regular intervals. Mm. And care, you know, linked into the, actually I care rather than I just want to see you once a year. I think, well, this, yeah. just back to the point about well-being, yeah. if you feel you've got some, I mean, look, it, does, it doesn't always work. The psychological oh. contract does not always work. But if you feel treated respect, you know, respectfully, and it goes both, both ways, mm. and, you, and then I think well-being comes from that, and then you can make a, mm. draw, draw a trail of breadcrumbs to product productivity at the end. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And, and um, Graham, just uh, we've, we've touched on well-being. Actually, it's come up quite a few times. Why is it so crucial for people to be happy and healthy um, for it to impact on productivity? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I love the idea of why is it so crucial for you to be happy and healthy? Full <laughs> yeah. stop, right? It's, it's kind of a nice question. But uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of how that impacts on productivity, so there's a, you know, 
uh, I'd imagine the vast majority of people listening to this podcast are knowledge workers, right? You add value, you create value out of information. That's what that's what we all do. Mm. And you know, one of the things that gets in the way of productive knowledge work is procrastination, right? And where does procrastination come from? It comes from stress and how we feel. Mm. So I often feel that you know, well-being and 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 being happy. What that allows you to do is to define your work and and sort of work with yourself and mm. sort of manage yourself in a way that uh, that allows you to, de to develop momentum in your work. I kind of feel like um, I use this terminology in the book: playful, productive momentum is the opposite mm. of stress. Right. So if you feel uh, that uh, you know ha happiness and well-being um, enable you to think much more positively about your work, then you're likely to define better. Uh, projects, better next physical actions, the things that you can start to do. And as a result of that, then you just don't get in your own way so much, right? Whereas if you're feeling under pressure from your boss and you're really anxious about screwing something up and you're worried that everyone's kind of watching you, then immediately there's a whole series of judgments and narratives in your head that start to say, I may not get started on this thing because I want to be absolutely convinced on what I need to do before I get started, right? So I think playful, productive momentum is, is a really important kind of mindset to, to think about because ultimately it helps us to think in a better way and then we're more productive because we've done mm. better thinking. Mm -hmm. I've, I've got a fi five-year-old um, who does, runs up and does this thing what I call a booster hug. So she's in a play park or she's running around with friends and she runs up and gives me a big hug. <clears throat> five seconds later she's off again. <laughs> there's, such a thing, there's, such a, there's such a thing as a sort of check, check to your point about check-in. Yeah. I was thinking making the connection from playful, productive momentum. <laughs> but there's something about just sort of feeling... En I mean, I'm an extrovert, so I feel energised by people around me giving a bit of encouragement. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And that doesn't work for everyone. There's different, mo different, different models, but I would... I, would, I was going to ask you if the booster hug was to boost you or yes. to boost yeah. her, right? Like, no, it's I'm, probably, yeah, yeah, she, probably she two runs, ways. She runs off with more confidence, yeah. so that's a, and, I'm, and I'm happy to add. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Um, and, and we've sort of touched on, touched on some of this already, but, you know, what would be, um, from, from your work, Graeme, a, a tip or some ideas of how people can be more productive? Uh, well, uh, I've written a whole book about that. Right. Excellent. <laughs> called, called Productivity Ninja. But, uh, I mean, a, briefly, a couple of things that I think can really help. Um, often, if you have ever just come away on a Friday from work just feeling totally overwhelmed and overloaded and there's, like, so much stuff to do on Monday and all that kind of thing, um, a really simple thing you can do is just sit down and get all of that stuff out of your head. Um, what you will usually find when you do that, so psychologists call this distributed cognition, which basically means get it all out of your head and look at it, and then you'll have a much more objective sense of what's on your plate, and as a result of that, you can make better uh, prioritization calls and strategic calls about where to focus time and energy. Yeah. So just getting it all out of your head um, is a really great starting point. The brain is really good at making strategic decisions and intuitive judgments and mm. creative ideas and all the rest of it. The brain is terrible at memory. So if you think about that game that goes, I went to the shops and I bought, and someone mm. says a thing, and someone says mm. nothing, no one get, can get past about 12 things in that game. So uh, the brain is really set up to uh, be, be great at the creative and strategic side of things, not that good at memory. So get it all out of your head. Um, then have some kind of what I call second brain, so some kind of place where you put a list not just of the actions that you need to work on, but the projects that they relate to. Mm. I work with so many people who have a really uh, well set up uh, to-do list, but don't actually have a project list. 
right? And what happens if you don't have a projects list is all those projects end up on the to-do list and then it's, it's kind of mm. messy and mucky when your brain is sat there trying to decipher what to do next. It's like everything from tiny little tasks through to big six-month projects and it's all in one list. So having that as two separate things and, and having some structure around that um, will really help. Um, and then the other thing I think is a really vital component of this that a lot of people don't do is um, have, doing what I um, uh, talk about in the book as a thing called the weekly review. So having a checklist where you'd go through uh, your calendar for the last couple of weeks, your calendar for the three weeks ahead. You look at your to-do list and make sure that, it, that you believe it and that it makes sense and that it covers all the stuff that you are actually working on and kind of represents your real kind of world. Um, and then you can start to have some of those bigger um, like sort of thoughts with yourself and about prioritization and what comes next and what's most important and all that. And just having like an hour where we take ourselves out of um, that sort of uh, treadmill cycle of just trying to do all the work um, and just take yourself away from that and just take that uh, bigger, more helicopter view and do the strategic thinking. Most people I have worked with find that a really difficult thing to make stick because people feel guilty about it. People feel really guilty about the idea of making space for really good productive thinking about our work. Um, it's like, oh, I've got loads of work to do. I don't have time to do this. I'll do this next week when I'm, you know, I'm less busy and all the rest of it. And the thing is, we all take an hour away from our desk to go and think about something. We just generally do it with three other people and it's called a meeting. We don't ever feel guilty about that, right? So taking that to sit on your own, have a meeting for one, sit down and just really get that helicopter level, strategic level view of your work, look at your projects list, work out where you're up to, work out what's falling behind, if anything's falling between the cracks. Do all that kind of thinking in one go once a week, um, and you'll find that you feel a lot more in control of what you're doing. Um, you'll feel a lot less stressed. And I feel often when I do that, I can feel totally overloaded, like there's loads of stuff that I'm working on, but I'm not overwhelmed. And that's the key difference. It's like if you feel that sense of control, um, then everything just gets easier as a, as a result. Right. So you can just go onto any website and type in uh, you know, let's say the, the to-do to list app that I use is called Nosby, N-O-Z-B-E. And you can just go to nosby.com in the same way that you go to Gmail and just work from there. And you can download it onto your phone and it will synchronize with that web application, but you don't actually have to put something on your computer at work. So I feel like that's a, a way to kind of help with this. And also if I go back and do that kind of workshop with a finance team and they go back to their desks, they all go and open Excel because they use Excel all day, every yeah. day. They use it really well. So there's, a, there's, there's definitely something about using the stuff that you're familiar with as much as possible. And when you do learn a new tool, make sure you just use it to the absolute nth degree and get the most value out of it. I think a lot of people end up flitting between one bit of software or another and spend a lot of time on the setup cost of that and learning a new thing, um, you know, chasing that thing that's 100% of what they need. Actually, it's much better to be in the thing that's 95% what you need and you actually be using it rather than be learning and setting up something else. Yeah. Fantastic. And I'm, I'm sad to say we're almost at the end yeah. of our conversation. Can I ask you both um, what your top tip would be of how an organisation can go further in developing the productivity of their people? What would that one mm. tip be? Oh, goodness. So I think just the point you said about being overwhelmed, right? I think we're in a complex society. There's so much going on. Organisation can amplify that or they can simplify that. Mm, yeah. And actually there's something about clear messaging I ask of, of, of you to help remove that complexity and, and, and stress. I think that, that's the con, con, I would, that's probably the thing I would, I would advise organisations. Don't overwhelm, over, overwhelm people with information, direction. You've got to set out, set the intent. 
Thank you. The other thing I would say is to give your team questions as well as answers. Mm. Um, I think you'd be amazed at uh, how many neat solutions there are bubbling up from the team that actually if you just ask the right questions, you don't have to be the person providing all the answers to this stuff. Um, and I think people have an innate sense of the things that are going to uh, be comfortable for them in the way that they work and the things that are going to work well. And often what it really needs is just some good facilitation mm. to get those ideas bubbling up and kind of go, actually, there's a whole new thing over here and let's get together and have a, a team effort over here. I, and I really feel as part of that, a lot of the work that we do, we find that there's some very simple questions that people don't ask enough, such as how long is it, um, is it okay to not take, to, to not respond to an email in, right? So like, can I leave an email for an hour or can I leave it for a day or does it mm. need to be in three minutes? Uh, you'll find that people have wildly varied um, views on that and the etiquette around that stuff. And for me, a lot of those things, how long is it okay to be away from your desk for? What are the absolute core hours that we have to be here? All these kind of key little questions. Everyone has their implied version of it or yes. their interpreted version of it. Actually bringing that above the surface and having that out as a, as a team is amazingly empowering. Because back to your thing, if they help to then create what the ground rules look like, but also, once you get that clarity, everything else is easy, I think. Thank you. That draws us to the end of another episode of How to Empower. I found it really interesting, and I want to thank both Graham um, and Alistair for coming along and chatting so openly to me. Um, to you, the listeners, I hope that you've learned something. Um, please subscribe to Leap and so that you can listen to our next episode. Mm -hmm.